the Spud Goodman Radio Show. And here is the studio orchestra of the Spud Goodman Show, sartorially regaled in sequined jumpsuit and cantilevered pompadour, the world's only accordion-playing Elvis impersonator, Accordion Joe. Here comes the Spud Man, he goes down easy. He calls to you who, the social outcast. Yes, you who are rejected. He wants you, he needs you, he loves you. Here comes the Spud Man, he goes down easy. Here comes the Spud Man. It's the Spud Goodman Show. Let's get ready. Trumbo! And here he is, the head cheese meister. It's Spud Goodman. Greetings. My name is Spud. Spud Goodman. Spud Goodman. You know, and if, if I were you, I would hang around for a while before making a firm decision on bolting for a better entertainment option. I'm aware we're up against all sorts of attractive choices for you, the listener, most of which are legal. I mean, so we're just going to have to raise our game to a really, really high level here. Maybe it won't be, you know, possible to sustain for more than a minute or two, but hopefully that will be enough to hook you. So without further delay, let me introduce you to our designated laugher, my Aunt Dorothy. Give everyone a short sample of your skill set. Start with maybe a chuckle, and then finish with a strong belly laugh. Hey, he, you didn't eat before the show, did you? Oh, oh, heavens no. I can never keep food down before a show. Nerves, you know. If I don't throw up once or twice in the restroom before the show, I just don't feel ready. Okay. So, should I start now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was pretty impressive, actually. I I know. Yeah. So I guess I'm forced to give everyone a heads up now. Uh, Yeah. Uh, uh, He's here. Our temporary permanent co-host, Gerald Holcomb, is is with us in the studio. So there's no need to draw attention to yourself. I have acknowledged you officially. Uh, Well, the, the directive from our executive producer requires that I be formally introduced. You know, a heads up's not really satisfactory. Do you want to try that again? Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! No, not really. But, well, okay, 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 okay. If you want to be a baby about it. And now, here's our temporary co-host, Cheryl Holcomb. How's that? Yeah, uh, well... First, it's temporary, permanent co-host, Spud. You know this, but you continue to erroneously misstate my title on this show. Why do you do that? I don't know. But, I don't know. One thing it could be is because I or any other talk show host worth anything has no need for a freaking co-host. Well, That position is quite similar to milkmen or telephone operators. A thing of the past, man. Game has changed. I would have to agree. Co-hosts are way old school. No offense, Gerald, but you do pretty much just get in the way. Have you thought about an early retirement option? Well, I I don't want to sound disrespectful, Mrs. Jarvitz, but how important is a designated laugher to a radio show? Wait a minute. We've covered this issue in the past, but I will say this again. After, you know, the host... 
A designated laugher is the second most important part of any radio show. Yes! You know, people are way too busy in this era to determine, you know, themselves what is funny and what is not so much. So my aunt puts in the time and effort needed to make this decision for everyone. Okay, enough said on this topic. Ha, ha, ha. Very, okay, very well. But co-hosts are, in my opinion, very underappreciated. That's all I'm going to say. Well, good, because uh, that's all I'm going to let you say. That's all I'm uh, saying. Well, no, that's all I'm going to let you say. All right. So, uh, all right, I won. Now, what I wanted to talk about on the show was something that is rather mind-blowing, at least in my mind. Hmm. I'm referring to the undying, unrelenting, and unbreakable bond President Trump has with his base of supporters. It's like a flippin' cult. I mean, I know we're on a few conservative stations, and some listeners right now would strongly disagree with me and say that I'm in that mainstream media. But come on, loyalty like this is it's just not normal. How did he pull this off? People can't figure me out. They can't process me. I don't expect them to. You can't process me with a normal brain. Do you know where my career would be today with that kind of blind devotion well, really, from my fans? Yeah, yes, but I don't get it either. It doesn't matter what he does or says. He could do practically anything and get away with it. Have an affair with a porn star? Brag about grabbing women by their genitals? Say nice things about white supremacists? His base just doesn't care. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. You know, if it was Trump who shot both Tupac and Biggie, you know he still would have got the GOP nomination. You know, it, it might have had a minor negative impact in the general election in certain parts of, say, Pennsylvania and Michigan. That I will get over 95% of the African-American vote. But probably a slight plus elsewhere with his people. Uh, you know, for me... In the voting booth, it would depend on the extenuating circumstances. Now, I don't know who this Tupac or Biggie are, but, you know, did they have a prior wow. criminal record? W were they an illegal alien or, or wearing a hoodie? You know, there could be a lot of factors to consider here. Well, well, from what I can see, I don't think those things would even matter. His people have unconditional love for him. It is kind of impressive. Well, I guess there's there's love and then there's idol worship. Hmm. My base, if, if I have one, is, is pretty weak-willed. They would dump me for no reason. In fact, I doubt if I even have a base left after all these years as a talk show host. I mean, that's what I need to figure out here. That's what I'm trying to say. How can I build a base, too? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, but I think you either have one or you don't. Uh, Donald Trump didn't have to build his base uh, across this country. Uh, people were primed and ready for him when he came down that escalator at Trump Tower to announce his candidacy. And, and you know, having God in your corner, that never hurts, too. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't see God lending Trump a hand in anything. I mean, well, he has standards, man. Don't be so overly dramatic about it. He may get a pass from millions of evangelical voters, but... I would hope God would hold him accountable, at least for telling so many tall tales. And there's more than enough evidence on the table for Trump to spend a very long time in hell. Well, you'd think so, but I'm not mm -hmm. exactly inside the loop with God, so who knows? I mean, it's, it's possible I just don't get what's going on right now. But regardless, I'm getting a signal I need to introduce our musical guest, who I will be speaking with a little later on in the program. Here is singer-songwriter who is creating quite a bit of clamor at this moment. Say hello to Jason McHugh.
This is the Spud Goodman Show. Hey, this is Cheech Marin, and you're listening to the Spud Goodman Show. So am I. So keep listening. It could pay off. Uh, Spud, your first guest, Bruce Dern, is waiting to speak with you. Okay, this is... Going to be a thrill for me, all right? Uh-huh, yeah. I'm a major, major fan of Mr. Dern. He's a true Hollywood icon. He is a legend. Yes, he is. Yes, he's done so many kick movies over the years. I mean, from Coming Home to The Great Gatsby to his recent film with Quentin Tarantino, The Hateful Eight. Bruce Dern is the real deal. I'm excited. This is going to be cool. You know, his career has been amazing and the thing that's just fascinating, he's still going strong at 81 right now. He has a bunch of new films coming out. You know, I'm familiar with a few of Bruce Dern's movies. He is quite an actor. I'd really like to be able to ask a quick question of him if I could. Um, it would be really no, brief. No, no, and I I know, I'm going to have to put would... my foot down on this. All right? Mm. I know you've been encouraged by our executive producer I to have. jump in and make your comments during my interviews. Uh, and for some reason, she thinks you're witty. But this one, this time, no, it's not going to happen. I think that this is your way of telling me something. Okay, okay. I-, I know I'm not allowed to directly address our guests, but at least let me offer my feedback to you during the segment. It's my only involvement in the show's interviews. You can't take that away from me. Hell no, you can't! Oh, don't be such a baby, Gerald. Suck it up. 
I'm sorry, man, especially you too, Aunt Dorothy, but well, this one is special to me, so everyone will need to keep it down. Just put Mr. Dern through before he has to go do something more important and come on our show. Very well. Here he is. Please welcome one of our greatest actors of any generation. Say hello to Bruce Dern. I, I really appreciate you coming on our show. Well, I appreciate, first of all, the opening uh, sentence is quite uh, amazing for me to hear that, so thank you very much. Well, it's the uh, truth. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, before I ask you about other stuff, I want to state that you have a new movie coming out on April 6th, Chappaquiddick, playing Joe Kennedy. He, he was a very significant figure in American political and business history. Did you learn anything interesting while researching his life, preparing for the role? Well, uh, I learned, I learned, uh, I knew a lot about Joseph Kennedy. My, uh, my father was an attorney, um, and, uh, the guy who was his business partner and best friend and the godfather in our family was Adelaide Stevenson. So uh, through those two, when I was a young man, I, you know, in the late 40s and 50s, uh, I learned a lot about Joe Kennedy. So, but what I was surprised about was uh, the condition of a man who had had four strokes at the time of this movie and uh, didn't have a number on the calendar yet in terms of how much time he had left, uh -huh. but was still was very prominent and revered, and uh, I won't use the F word, but nobody messed with him, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, that's what I've read. Yeah. Well, um, let me say this. You know, Bruce, um, in terms of the body of work, in your career, I think you've been in more cool movies than any other actor in Hollywood history. I mean, it, I mean, take an hour to go through them all. It, it could be a tie between you and Jack Nicholson, as you both have great taste in the roles you've taken on. Do you have a sixth sense, or has, has luck played a small part in it, too? No, I, you know, when I started out, uh, I was under contract to Mr. Kazan, and he had five of us. He had uh, Rip Torn, Pat Hingle, Geraldine Page, Lee Remick, and Bruce Dern. And I was the baby of the group, meaning the youngest. Wow. And uh, that, when we first came to Hollywood, we were very lucky in the late 50s. When we first came into the business and came to Hollywood particularly, and I did not start in Hollywood, I started on Broadway. But uh, we had a great privilege because we still got to work with the legends. And that was probably, Jack will tell you, the same thing. We had a chance to work with legends, and everybody said, well, but you guys are legends now. No, I'm sorry, sir, but you can't be a legend today. There is too much information out there about everybody knows what you do after school, so there's, uh, there's nothing going on that's private. And, and the second thing is, because of a certain kind of acting style and the promotion within the business, they were bigger than life. Right. I mean, I, I did two movies with John Wayne when I had to kill him in, and uh, he was bigger than life. And you, you just can't get to that status now. And I think that's why when we started out, we had to work harder at the craft of acting, so to speak, um, to act. Because every single one of those men or women, and for me, it was Betty Davis, it was John Wayne, it was Robert Mitchum. You know, it was Olivia de Havilland, it was so forth and so on, who were very encouraged. But every single one of them always said, push the envelope. 
go out on the edge and take risks because you guys and, and the girls in your age group, you're up to something that we've never gotten to. And uh, I, you know, we always thank them for that, but I wasn't aware that that's what they were doing. But as I look back on it, they knew what they could do and they could give that performance, whether like John Wayne was playing Genghis Khan or whoever the hell he was, he was, yeah, mostly John Wayne, but at the same time, uh, two or three times in his career, like The Quiet Man and, uh, you know, Rooster Cogburn and all that, he found something very close to himself and pulled it off. Well, that was what was exciting about when we came up. We still had that opportunity. And uh, when I look back on the movies that I've been in, um, I... Charles Maston once said an interesting thing to me. We went to the, I went to a high school called New Trier. It's in Winnetka, Illinois. It's about 20 miles north of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And Charles Maston went to it. Rock Hudson went to it. And oh. Margaret went to it. Wow. The president, my freshman year in high school, the president of our senior class was uh, Donald Rumsfeld. Um, and it's just a little high school from a town of 12,000 people. But uh, it's a very kind of a waspy community. It used to be when I was young. And uh, Nutria had great uh, athletic teams and so forth and so on. But Heston once told me, an actor is never as good as his next film. And so I've always looked forward. I don't look back while everybody always says, what's your favorite film? Well, when you have 80 people and you go make a movie for eight to 10 weeks, or now they make them in five or six weeks, you become a family. So every movie I've ever made, uh, I'm proud of the fact the movie was made. The final result, there are some I am not so proud of. But uh, I have enough that that really were a treat. I mean, uh, I guess the, the most exciting thing was the fact that uh, 10 years ago, uh, not 10 years ago, let's see, uh, 13 years ago, Alexander Payne sent me a script of Nebraska. Yeah. And I said, I'm there. You know, I, and I even sent him a toy red truck to say, I am Woody. And he said, I want you to do this part. <clears throat> he couldn't raise the money for two reasons. Number one was me, but number two was black and white. No one wanted to make it in black and white. And so he didn't make it. So he went on and made um, a Sideways and uh, about the guys in the wine country. Great movie. And, and then, oh yeah. And then uh, he, he said, okay, here we go. And then he couldn't get it made again. So he went and did uh, uh, The Descendants with George Clooney in Hawaii. Yep. And uh, then he finally called and he said, okay, They've agreed to you, but they won't agree to black. I mean, they won't agree to black and white. So shut up and let us do it in black and white. He couldn't care less what I said. But he finally agreed six weeks before we started shooting to have it be in black and white. And it is black and white. Thank God he did. Thank God, because it worked. Let me ask you this. Um, something else that you have in common with uh, Mr. Nicholson, again, is you both worked with Roger Corman. And for you, you were in The Wild Angels and The Trip. Did you find him to be a mad genius or just plain mad? No. Uh, i tell you what. I have always had a theory about how lucky we were to run into Roger or Roger ran into us, whatever happened. I've always felt we got to go to the University of Corman 
I don't think any of us ever finished college. And Jack, I don't even think ever tried. And uh, I, I'll give you an example. On the Wild Angels, which was the first time I did with them, our second unit photographer was Francis Coppola. Oh, our wow. second, our second unit focus puller was Peter Bagdanovich. The props were done by Jonathan Demi, um, wow. uh, and so forth and so on down the line. And it was just, I asked him in 1966, he's still alive. I asked him in 66, how many movies have you done? He was, I think, 40. And he said, uh, uh, this is my hundredth film. So what we would do is you would make a Roger Corman movie for $250,000 for everybody, the whole movie, in 10 days. And shoot, you know, right around here, motorcycles, drugs, whatever it was. He never got into surfing movies because that was kind of ending. And he wanted to deal with people more than the uh, cinematic event from it. And I did another movie for him, too, called Bloody Mama, which uh, was the first movie that... uh, uh, Bobby De Niro was in outside yeah. of two little movies, and uh, Shelley Winters was in it, and so forth and so on. And what Roger did was the only, I have three things that really bother me in the history of my career. The first one is that Roger Corman was never given more than a million dollars to make a movie. I don't mean salary, I mean a whole budget. That was a shame. The second thing that was a shame was Jack Nicholson directed me in a movie called Drive, he said, which I won the National Film Critics Supporting Actor Award for. And that he never got to direct a movie that he wouldn't appear in. That was a sad. And wow. the third thing was Michael Cimino, who passed away almost two years ago now, yes. was a good friend of mine and made, uh, well, The Deer Hunter is a great film. And uh, no question about it. Heaven's Gate has a lot of great stuff in it. But people forget Michael Cimino wrote Silent Running. I did know that. Wow. Yeah. Hey, Bruce, I don't want to end this thing now, so could you possibly hang around a little longer as we have to take a quick break here? Would that be cool with you? Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, thanks a bunch, man. All right, everyone, don't go away as we will have more Bruce Dern in just a moment. Don't go away or you'll miss the amazing conclusion of the Spud Goodman Radio Show right after this brief timeout. Hey, Al, this is Gwen from Trees and Timber here on our sixth Spud Goodman performance. Because we love it so much, we'll keep coming back until he won't let us come back. And then we'll stand outside the door waiting for him to show up so we can beg him for more appearances. Because we love it so much. We now return to more action-packed thrills and excitement on the Spud Goodman Radio Show. Okay, we're back with Bruce Dern. Again, I really appreciate you staying with us on the line, man. Yeah. Well... Let me ask you this. When you worked with Alfred Hitchcock in both Marnie and Family Plot, did, did you sense he really dug his cameos in the movies he made, or did he just have to keep doing them because people expected him? Uh, no, he, 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 he quite enjoyed it. And uh, 
Family Plot, which was a movie that I started and I just played a little bit in uh, Marnie. But in Family Plot, I sat next to him every day for, oh, I don't know, 10 weeks. And uh, he kind of invited me to enjoy the spot. He was so big in his neck that he couldn't turn his neck. Um, so he would just talk forward to you all the time. And um, as far as the cameos go, um, he looked forward to finding the place in the material where he wanted to appear and never made the decision until maybe 25% into the making of the movie. Huh. So he... He would, he would, in lifeboat, there was no, I mean, he just had to do what he did, you know. But otherwise, he was just splendid. Mm -hmm. Right. He never did more than two takes on anything. Well, that that's definitely counter to, uh, I guess I guess with different, you know, it's in film stock now, so I guess they can afford to, yeah, anyway. All right. Well, I have two more questions because I know you got, I probably want to go out for a run. So let, let me work through these last two and we'll, and we'll, and I can get you out of here. So here we go. Um, in, in 2010, you were honored with your star on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. A, a little late, in my opinion, but anyway, how cool was it to experience it while your daughter, Laura, and, and ex-wife, Diane Ladd, were also getting theirs at the same ceremony? Yeah, it was 2011, actually. 2011, okay. Uh, and uh, Gil Garcetti was the district guy from uh, the Hollywood district in those days. He wasn't mayor yet. And so... Uh, the first one up was Diane, and she you have to be introduced by somebody. And she was introduced by Della Reese. Oh. And Della Reese was in a wheelchair. And somebody helped her out of the chair, Mr. Garcetti, to help her walk up the three steps so she could stand on the platform to introduce her. And she brushed his arm away, and she said, if I can't walk up three GD stairs for Miss Diane Ladd, and she don't deserve to have a ceremony, and I don't deserve to be here. So that was first. Then I was second, and I was introduced by Joe Dante, who's uh, a director who mm -hmm. directed, uh, he directed The Burbs, for example, that I was in, but he did all those Kids in Jeopardy movies, like The Explorers and Piranha and uh, The Howling and... Uh, you know, all, all the kids where they're in trouble, movies like that. And uh, he's, he introduced me. And then the third one up was Laura, and she was introduced by David Lynch. Mm -hmm. And David Lynch got up and he started reading rote, just from a book. Ladies and gentlemen of the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, I would lie, he said, cut that off. He just threw a blank piece of paper on the floor and he says, let me tell you about who we're talking about today. And he gave uh, the most literate, bright, funny introduction about Laura that I've ever heard in my life. And incidentally, sir, he can make a movie also. Everybody yes. says, well, his movies are this or that. He made almost a perfect movie when he made The Elephant Man. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's how could anybody challenge his talent? I I would not even listen to that myself, but yeah, I'm a huge fan. And then at the very end of it, uh, Gil Garcetti says to me, "When you, and you, you're not up there yet, and then you come up one, three, and I get up, and he said, what does all this mean to you, Bruce, today and everything like that? I mean, what is it 
this, you know, there's a thousand people out there watching. I said, yeah, and we're holding up traffic, and they all say, you know, get that a-hole down there and let us get to Vine Street, will you, for grace's sake? So uh, that's the traffic. But he, uh, he said, no, seriously, what does it mean to you? I said, you know what it really means to me? A bunch of people got together, Hollywood kind of people, and decided that Bruce Stern could play. And that's all. That's the way I ended my book when I wrote it. I was just glad that uh, people seemed to be realizing I could play. Yeah. Um, well, you know, before I let you go, I, I got to make this comment. At this point in your career, you're not exactly kicking back and relaxing on some island. I mean, you have at least seven films now in post-production awaiting release. Let me toss out a couple titles like The, the Peanut Butter Falcon opposite Dakota Johnson. Thomas Hayden Church, who's been on our show a few times, great guy. John Hawks and others. And you also have White Boy Rick with Matthew McConaughey set for release on August 17th. I mean, you like to work, huh? Right. And I just finished a movie called The Artist's Wife, which stars me and Lena Olin. Do you remember Lena oh, Olin? I had Lena Olin. Yeah, absolutely. We love Lena Olin. Okay. She, 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 her first big movie, she won an Oscar thing for, for uh, it was called The Incredible Likeness of Being. Yes, love amazing movie. And on the set every day, she would bring her husband, who was Lasse Hallstrom. Yeah, yeah, you know. Who, who directed A Boy and His Dog, who won an Academy Award for directing Chocolat, and won another Academy Award for directing Cider House Rules. Yeah, Lena, let me just say this. Lena Olin was supposed to be on our show. Where I was, I was, she had me call her in her hotel room. I believe in, I think it was in Sweden or maybe it was in Brussels anyway. Long story short, they had uh, telecommunication problems, and we never got the interview done, so I was really bummed. I, I'm a big fan. Well, you should call her up if you want to do it and just tell her you talked to me and call her up and use that as an excuse to bug her. She would love to do it, particularly to talk about this movie we just did. Okay, I, and what's the title again? The Artist's Wife. Artist's Wife. All right, I wrote it down. All right, super. All right, but I want to remind everyone that you, that your new film, Chappaquiddick, opens on April 8th in theaters nationwide. Uh, and you're proud of that, correct? Cause, uh, 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 oh, yes. I, I, have you seen it or not? I haven't seen the screener yet, no. But I'm obviously going to see it. I'm a, I'm a major Kennedy fan, so I'm definitely going to well, see it. It's uh, All I can say is what the movie does is it makes you realize that it was not Camelot. Yeah, I'm pretty sure of that. Well, hey, I just want to thank you so very, very much for coming on our show, okay? Well, I want to thank you for including me in your show. <laughs> well, there you have it, Mr. Bruce Dern. This is the Spud Goodman Show. So, I didn't think I would ever ask you for help or assistance, but as an actual member of Donald Trump's base, I'm going to yeah. have to like suck it up myself and, and make an exception and go ahead and, and, and like ask you for help, okay? okay? If I could tap into this secret recipe, maybe I could resurrect my dead-end career. At this point, I'm not too proud to ask for help, even from you. I mean, what do I have to lose? What the hell do you have to lose? You know... I I don't know if I can do this, but there are some things in life that are just not meant to be shared. What if those working on the Manhattan Project shared their secret plans to build the first atom bomb on, say, uh, Facebook or Twitter? 
<laughs> you know, the world. Know. That's the, funny. It would be a different place. <laughs> I, I'm not going to ask you to betray your country, man. Well, I just want to be more popular. You know, to have people. <sighs> I want people to ignore all of my flaws and venal sins. You know, yeah. like him. How, how does one get more popular the worse you behave with millions of people? Courtney, Chloe. Oh, oh, Spud, I think the devil, if there is one, might be a much better place to seek answers to those questions. Well, I, I don't believe the devil is someone we, uh, I mean, any of us need to consult in any fashion. No Bible stories for you tonight. But if you really want to know why we, the supporters of Donald Trump, stand behind him 110% through all of the ongoing attacks from the mainstream media, mainstream it comes down media. to one word, loyalty. You know, when we sign up for something or get behind someone, we're in it for the long haul. The difference is you liberals jump ship whenever the going gets uh, tough. No way. Yeah, I mean, like, he could be right. I mean, no. loyalty can get you through <laughs> yeah. some tough times for sure. That, yeah. That's something that's always been lacking in my career. My fans would never stick with me if I murdered someone on Fifth Avenue in New York like oh, Trump. Oh, boy. I mean, maybe I could get away with kicking some dude in the nuts, but it couldn't be like a hard kick, you know, like a direct hit because that would be too aggressive and I would be shot. I'm sure that in the pair of testicles. Well, I, I, I myself am not a proponent of physically confronting those who may disagree with me uh, about the president, but you Antifos really need to take it down a notch. Must you break every Starbucks storefront just because you don't care for our president? Look, I, I'm not an Antifo, and I think it's actually Antifa. I mean, and don't Antifa. lump you know, the young people in that group who, you know, who think Trump is a total tool with those dumb hat anarchists you know those those kids that wear masks and walk around breaking stuff I and mean, they're spoiled brats and it just gives fox news their topic for the day I and mean, not that sean hannity needs any fresh material because you know he just plays his same old greatest hits day after day you think we're bad for america you think yeah. i'm bad for america you know the rest of them on you know on fox besides shepherd smith you know you know do change up the rotation of hillary let's see the deep state and rampaging immigrants a little i mean they'll occasionally toss in a, like a bad weather story or something especially in the winter time when it's snowing so so they can get a you know a quick shot in at global warming oh yeah good spot if global warming was true and was caused by man, why would my wife and I need to even use our electric blanket from November to March at night? I, I don't what? know about you, but winter is very chilly and uncomfortable for me. I would love it if the earth heated up a bit. It would save my family so much money in those cold months. People who are determined that ideology is more important than facts. How did you become so stupid, Gerald? Whoa. Are you purposely killing off all your brain cells? I do have, as you know, a BA from BYU. So any question of my intellect falls flat, Mrs. Jarvitz. I welcome an IQ test as I am smart, really smart. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Things I'm smart! Okay, Mr. Stable Genius. We're ready, I'll sit, I'll go, man, go. I gotta tell you about the Goodwin Show, cause I'm ready. For all who love beautiful music, there's one program you must hear. This is the Spud Goodman Show. Okay, it's musical guest interview time. Please say hello to singer-songwriter Jason McHugh. 
Welcome, Jason. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Spud. Yeah, you know, we don't have to waste time asking you to introduce your fellow band members. So that gives me more time to ask hard-hitting and probing questions. Um, what's your favorite Ben and Jerry's ice cream? Uh, probably Cherry Garcia. Oh, oh good one. That's good one. Lifelong, lifelong favorite of mine. I, I'm <laughs> hardcore. Yeah, all right, cool. I thought we had a bond, and uh, you just cemented that. <laughs> now, um, now it's 100%. Certain. That's right. So let's discuss... Your new record out and available uh, everywhere, Pangea, is that correct? Yep, Pangea. And if people can't find it, they need to ask for it. Is it a theme or a concept album? Kind of like a, maybe a rock opera or something? What is it? Kind of. Um, So a lot of the songs revolve around the concepts, uh, just the themes of geology and scientific processes and stuff like that. Just kind of the stuff I've been learning in school for the past couple of years, but kind of conglomerated together to make the metaphor of the album. Hmm. No, one thing I have noticed, you know, we haven't hung out for years, but you're really smart. I just want to say that for the record. Um, so uh, you're a recent transplant to Seattle. Where are you from originally? Originally, I am from Westchester, Pennsylvania. It's a small town, like 35-minute drive to the west of Philly. Oh, cool. Well, was it tough settling in? Uh, did you experience the so-called Seattle freeze-out socially for newcomers to the city? I, I've heard that, read that. I've never, I, I've never really seen it, but... Well, I don't know. It's interesting. It was definitely tough to make friends, but I, I attributed that more just to I came in as a transfer student to the school I was going to, and it was just kind of it felt like people had their pre-established friend group, so it was a little bit harder to make my way into mine. But to be honest, I had never really moved to a new city before, so I don't really have much to compare it to. If that makes sense. Okay. Um, but, you know, the thing is, once I was here for long enough and I, I got to know my friends a little bit more, I, I realized that they are some of the most incredible people that I've ever met in my life. And I, I don't know. I wouldn't trade that for anything. You know? Am I in that group, too? Oh, now you are. Okay, super. After the Cherry Garcia thing. All right, nice, cool. Nice. So, uh, you know, we've been talking on the show about the devoted supporters of, of President Trump. Do you have a base of blindly loyal fans at this point in your career? Um, no. Maybe my mom. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, I can see it coming from everything in the press and everything. I'm, sh- I'm sure you're going to have it. So, you know, if you have any excess, you know, fans, maybe you can send them my way. Some of it. Do you take mail? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. um, well, let me hit you with this. What are the long-term uh, goals, the career goals for Jason McHugh? Uh, besides the World Stadium Tour thing, I, I, I got to <laughs> guess that you want your own bobblehead to sell at your merch table. But, you know, anything else? Well, actually, when I was a kid, I had uh, this... It wasn't a bobblehead. It was a bobble belly of the Philly fanatic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want one of that for me. I want the the Jason McHugh bobble belly. Or maybe like the bobble left ankle or something. Something something different, you know? I'm pretty sure when you have people on, it looks like you're probably going to have people. They'll get that for you. So, <laughs> all right. Well, you know, uh, let's let's do the next song. But I, I want before, we, before you do, I want you to make this commitment on the air. Um, when you are a major star, w- will you right now promise that you're still going to call into our show sometime? Oh, I promise, bud. Absolutely. All right. So, so what's the name record. of the next song? Uh, the next song is called Fault Lines. All right. Let's do it. Tonight 
Have morphed into the sand. Quality that crosses fiction, all lines in my brain. And even though those lines are moving, there's a good chance I am wrong. And baby, I think I'm wrong. Yeah, I think I'm wrong. And yeah, I think I'm wrong. But Goodman Radio Show. Hi, this is Cherie Curry from The Runaways, and you are listening to the one and only Spud Goodman Show. Woohoo! Now. Uh, Spud? Yeah. Well, the show's public sector food critic is on the line ready to go. Okay, I- I'm really hungry right now. I hope he doesn't bring up food that, that will make me even hungrier. Oh, Spud, you know the worst comes out of you when you're hungry. Uh, I know. Yeah, you get so darn cranky. I'm so hungry. Well, hopefully he won't bring up anything that, that I like a lot. Put him through. Hey, hey, Lawrence, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've been listening to the show in my earbuds on that, uh, what, the Turian thing, you know? Yeah. It sounds real clear on my phone right now. Cool. You know, I, I, I kind of like that guy who was singing those songs back there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so you want me to do my uh, food review now? Yeah, so where are you and what place are you reviewing this week? I am at the Buffalo Bills State Park in the state of Wyoming. Really? I don't exactly know where in the state I am. I was, I was sleeping before I got off the Greyhound bus and I forgot to ask the driver what was the closest city to the park over here. And, and all I can say is, 
don't see McDonald's around here, but you know, there are a lot of wild animals, I'll tell you. Like, you know, there, there, there goes a goose right now. I'm looking at it. If you see something that can eat you, I, I'll totally understand if you have to cut this review short. So, so what dining facility at the park? Are you, are you, are you, are you, if you're eating, whatever you're doing? Yeah, well, I did just finish eating at the uh, park snack bar there. So it's kind of a nice place. Okay. It's a great condiment. They got this unlimited supply of packets of ketchup and mustard and relish, too. I stocked up on mustard because, you know, summer barbecue season's coming up, and you can never have enough mustard. Oh, uh, Lawrence, I am a mayonnaise guy myself. If you see a bunch of those packets, could you pick me up a few dozen? Come on, you can do it. He's not your personal condiment Sherpa. Lawrence, you don't have to bring him any mayonnaise back, okay? So, So why did they send you to Wyoming? Well, you know, I don't know why. Because uh, our executive producer uh, said that uh, I was headed to the heartland of America. I just picked up my bus ticket and headed on out. Wow. I have to say, though, this is God's country. Or at least uh, what I'm guessing God's country is supposed to look like. You know, me being a city guy, you know, this part of the country, it's, it's pretty different for me. You can't see any graffiti or use condoms on the street or or, or, or sort of streets, you know. I just see dirt roads out here because, you know, that's what they got well, out here now. I hope you're not wearing one of your, you know, new pairs of Jordans as those type of roads will mess them up. Maybe uh, you can make the show buy you a new pair if they do get trashed. You can't prevent everything. But, okay, let's talk food. What are you reviewing? Well, I thought I would be reviewing your basic campground type menu, you know, with the weenies on a stick and some mountain oysters. That's so hot. And, and of course, I uh, kind of s'mores. But yeah. I was surprised the special of the day was beef stroganoff, his rice pilaf, and French boysenberry pie. I would give that in, of course, two and a half sports. It wasn't bad, but not top notch. I think they should just stick with campground comfort food, if you ask me. Uh, you know, Lawrence, my wife makes a nice dish of rice pilaf. That's good to know. So, Lawrence, you are in the middle of Trump country right now. We're, we're discussing the president's base on the show right now. Um, so I, I think Wyoming went big for him, right? So have you seen many of those red Make America Great hats? Tom Brady loves me. And- well, you know, I have seen a lot of dudes in hats, now that you mention it, and a lot of those hats are red. Um, yeah, I think I should have said again, or is it before or later? I don't know. Yeah, I think he had again in there somewhere. But just just make sure right now, though, you have your papers on you. Oh, yeah, don't worry about that. I've got my AAA card, and I've got a copy of my old high school ASB card, so I think I'm, I'm pretty good for proving that I'm American and all that. Well, I'm good. planning all on right. catching the next bus out of here in a couple of hours anyway. And I hope the ride back to Seattle is a bit less smelly than coming here. Man, I was sitting, I was stuck sitting next to the dude who was drenched in Axe body spray. It smells really good. Yeah, it made my eyes water. Well, I guess he was going to blare me to win back his ex-wife. I gotta tell you, I don't think she's going to be sleeping with him before he takes a really long shower. Uh-huh. Women do not care to have sex with human aromatherapy diffusers. Yeah, I, okay, if you say so, Aunt Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all right, well, have a safe trip back. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> Lawrence, I hope you get a decent seat on the bus, away from stinky people. And uh, please, don't forget my packets of mayonnaise. 
hey, look, I don't, I don't see any mayonnaise packets around here. And maybe you want some sweet and low or some standard because I see tons of those. Oh, no, no, that, that's okay. Th- thank you anyway. Hey, bud, what's your problem? Yeah, okay, I, I got to go. Take it easy, man. All right, well, you too. Later. Look, I know if I'm going to build my own base of fanatic supporters, I've been thinking about this, I'm, I'm going to have to compromise a bit. Yeah. You know, what I've been doing up till now obviously hasn't worked. I, I can count on one hand how many people would have my back if I attempted anything Trump does or says each day. You know, he, he's belong- He's totally beyond Teflon strong. Teflon, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I need to start with some simple changes. Well, you, you might want to start with learning a few of the buzzwords President Trump has used to mobilize his army of supporters. I love the poorly educated. Now, you may not be comfortable using some of them, so that's, uh, that is something you're going to have to decide on for yourself. Words like illegal immigrants, rapists, and uh, please excuse the language here, sons of Let's just start there. But to inspire others, a true leader has to be willing to light the fuse that will move others to mobilize behind you. Uh huh. We're seeing now what happens when that fuse is lit, and it's not pretty. I don't know if I could say some of his taglines as they're way, way too racist, but I, I can start exaggerating and stretching the truth a bit as I, as I know for sure telling the truth is really boring to most people. I mean, look at all the losers in our political history who, who told people what was really going on. They pretty much all lost. Americans love a winner. Well, I, I prefer to look at political promises as uh, like a wish list, just because our current commander-in-chief may say some things that sound like a lie, it doesn't necessarily make it so. Oh, boy. Someday, what he says may in fact come true. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, speaking of lying, well, I loved and still love Obama, but that whopper about you can keep your doctor didn't work out real well for him. No. I mean, he was the worst at lying. He couldn't pull it off like Trump, who is the best in the basically the world's seen since maybe the 1930s. The, the, the statisticians, I read this, have him at just over 2,000 verified lies since taking office. Those are Hall of Fame numbers. <laughs> well, maybe we can try and tap into Donald Trump's base right now, here, live on the radio. Why don't we try and take a call from one of his supporters? I'm frankly tired of being the lone voice for freedom and liberty on this show. It's a lonely experience. Uh, would someone play the, the station phone number jingle? Attention, Attention listeners. listeners, get on the phone and call the spotlight. 253-242-3054. Call the spotlight. Call it. Okay, uh, what do you want to do while we wait for someone to call in? I know. I can share uh. my recent experience at the casino. I won almost $30 on Copper Dropper. It was pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, gambling stories, Mrs. Jarvitz, are not something I feel is appropriate for a family radio show. What's with you, Joha? Dude, we're not carried on Disney radio. Well, what are you talking about? Uh, And Dorothy, go ahead and tell us about that jackpot you won. Well, I doubled my bet to 90 cents. But uh, but we have a caller. Uh, Should I have him send it through now? Yeah, yeah. Caller, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I don't know if you uh, really get why we, his supporters, are all behind the president. I was uh, sort of listening to your show. I actually landed on the show by accident. And I heard you whining about how how Donald Trump, how he gets so popular with most of America. It's simple. 
He's one of us. Really? So you're a, a billionaire who has, you know, filed for bankruptcy on like six occasions and married. You've been married three times, and I could go on, but I had no idea. Well, uh, I have you're, been married a few times myself, but what about you? Yeah, I mean, I've been married a few times, but I haven't screwed over a bunch of college students who thought they were going to get a decent education on how to be a super rich real estate developer. Uh, I've also never sold rancid steaks to innocent victims. Hell no, you haven't! Yes, but don't let a few disgruntled college students impact your opinion about our 45th president. Colleges go out of business all the time. Now, as really? for his steaks, I say it must have been a few bad cows. You know, it's possible they ate some bad grass or something. Well, his wine sucked, too. I had a sip once at a Tupperware party, and I almost lost control of my bowels. You can't prevent everything. Yeah, I did hear it tasted a little bit like raw sewage. Yeah. Um, so, so Collar, are you so loyal you support all of his businesses, too? I mean, he is America's first home shopping network president. Hey, I have no problem having a leader who is a successful businessman. Gives okay, me great okay, comfort. fine, fine. Whatever. Have you ever been involved with anything that hasn't failed miserably? Uh, um, I mean, uh, you do give off this loser vibe. Um, um, you suck! I mean, it kind of depends on how you define successful. I mean, that that's a pretty subjective word. I, I will admit, since I was a little kid, I've been horrible at insulting others with nasty nicknames like, you know, Little Marco or Low Energy Jeb. I mean, Trump is extremely talented at tagging people with words that would have killed in the fifth or sixth grade. Oh, okay, look. Look, it, it's Spud, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to be honest Spud with you. Show, so yeah. Your number one problem is you are not that yeah. likable. Okay. So no way you could make inroads with Trump voters. Hmm. He is really likable and deeply loved in this country. And by the way, elected in the biggest landslide ever. A giant, beautiful, massive, the biggest ever in our country. Spud, this guy has a point about you not being likable, but I'm Googling that landslide thingy. It doesn't sound correct. Hey, if you really think Donald Trump is likable, then I'm wasting my time here. I mean, this guy has never apologized to another person in his adult life. How could anyone find that likable? Man, you and your Make America Great Again pals are, are living in a different dimension. Can, can I ask if you guys made a pact with, say, an evil entity? L like you're pretending to buy what Trump is saying, so later you're given the secret to eternal life? Like, like on that TV show, The Strain? Uh, you know, Spud, I and the others are already aware of this path to eternal life. And it okay, is, scratch as the I've eternal said, life angles. Just scratch that. Maybe someone has promised you the secret to eating all the crap food you can cram down your pie hole and never weigh more than 239 pounds. I don't think so. All I do know is you guys make no sense and creep me out kind of little, tiny bit. I got to go now. Yeah, I need to go myself. Good luck to you and this little show thing you do later. No, I, I needed to go way more than him and a bigger, more emphatic later. Right back at him if, he, if he's still listening right now. Yeah, I, I doubt he's still listening. I, I don't think that went well. I guess I should have maybe had him, I don't know, whipped out some more snappy you know, names like yeah. his, you know, and your hero. Like, uh, you guys... You guys love them. Maybe like Cuckoo Caller or Crazy Ass Caller. Yeah. Like I said, I, I'm horrible at nasty nicknames. Anyway, I'm Spud Goodman. Be all that you can be, and I mean that. God bless and ciao. Bye-bye. Once again, here is Jason McHugh.
time, another time you'll see the continents will bring you back to me because they won't move anymore. We'll find Pangea will come back another time. Pangea will come back another time. Come back another time. Pangea will come back another time. Because distance is what I am, distance is what I can be for you. If the timing is what you are, and the distance is too far from you, then I'll come back another time. Something that's mine. But since now we're here, how have you been? Has life been alright? Did you know I moved out west? I was thinking of the time when we went to the moon, and I put my arm around you. I was scared someone would see. I don't know, it's hard to remember what I thought when we were. Copyright 2018, Spud Goodman Productions.